Welcome to Saltivation. The Saltivation Show is a podcast series featuring the leading voices in salt, where we talk about the issues and strategies to help you make sense of state and local tax. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Saltivation Podcast. Today, we are joined by Aaron Neer, the founder and CEO of MuniRevs. We are excited for our conversation with Aaron today, especially given the changing landscape in our home state of Colorado, as the state is in the process of being able to collect tax in our home rule jurisdictions via MuniRevs. Aaron, thank you so much for being with us here today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And of course, Saltivation's Judy Vorndren. Hello, Judy. Hello, Meredith. Hello, Aaron. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Aaron, as we've mentioned, you're the founder and CEO of MuniRevs. So tell us about your career that got you to where you are today. So I am an accountant uh, by, by training. I have my bachelor's in accounting and then went through the CPA route, and I'm actually a CPA. I started out actually in the hotel industry. Uh, doing accounting for them. I, I ended that part of my career as the assistant controller for a hotel here in Telluride and then decided that I wanted a change. And so that's when I went and had my first opportunity at the local government level and started out as an accountant for the town of Mountain Village. Wow. I knew I knew some of that, but I didn't realize you worked in the hotel industry. And you know what crazy taxes they have. And it's a lot yeah. of work for them. <laughs> <laughs> it is for sure. So then how long were you with Mountain Village? I was there about five years. Um, I ended my career with them as the finance director for the town. I actually, um, after that, went and I was the CEO and CFO for kind of their sister organization. They have a master HOA in the Telluride community that handles more real estate taxes and things like that. And then um, in that process, that's when I started thinking about MuniRevs realizing that there was a, a challenge with the way that all the businesses were having to remit the taxes, how difficult it was for the town, for even tax collection at that owner's association. And so that's the end of that is when I invented MuniRevs and hired programmers to build it. So what, but what do you mean? What was hard about it? Like, why? What? It, Let's get specific. It really, one of the first things I saw was the um, the vacation rental industry, actually, you know, coming from mm-hmm. the hotel yeah. and then seeing it from the town's perspective. And it was 2010. So VRBO was just starting. Yeah. And here I am in Telluride, Colorado. And I knew that there was lodging tax. They had a lodging tax on the books. Mm-hmm. They had a sales tax on the books. And I knew that these people that were all of a sudden hanging their shingle up as VRBO yeah. probably didn't know they needed to get a license. They needed yeah. to pay taxes. So I did my very first audit actually before I founded MuniRevs in 2010 in an Excel spreadsheet going through the VRBO website for the town of Telluride and then the town of Mountain Village. They're kind of sister communities as well. And as I was doing that, I was actually calling these homeowners and reaching out and explaining to them the process. But I'm telling them to go find a PDF form, print it, you know, pop a check in the mail and let the town then process all of that. And I realized that that was crazy. <laughs> and so that's really where the idea for Muni Reps came from. Fascinating. Yeah, it is. It is so brutal, isn't it? Like just the expectation. I actually have a second home and I have always collected and remitted my lodging taxes, but most people do not because this is the business I work in, right? So I've always been a, a licensee, but the license was really expensive. Uh, my place is in a town called Blue River, which is outside Breckenridge. When they decided to impose it, it was $200 to get a license. That's a lot of money just for the privilege of giving them money. 
So, um, but, you know, just figuring out the nights rented, the cost, what should be taxed? Is the cleaning fee taxable? Is the any extra, you know, charges, pet fee, you know, and the lodging itself? Like, whoa, that's a lot of items that we invoice for over and above just the nightly lodging. So it was kind of a twisted thing to figure out and get remitted properly. And there was multiple jurisdictions. There's a the county, the city, and the state. And if you're not an accountant like yourself, it, it's difficult. That's why they need your services, right? Yeah. And then and then finding out how to actually pay it. If you've collected it, how do you actually take care of that? How do you remember Correct. to do your renewal? How do you stay compliant, right? Yeah. Yep. So then, Aaron, tell us what <laughs> Muni Revs is. And then is the product of Muni Revs as it is today, is that the end goal of what you were hoping it would be? And then... Did it start out kind of as as something else? So talk to us, you know, because our listeners are probably not fully aware of, you know, the the municipalities of sales tax. For us in Colorado, it's very, you know, close to home because of all the home rules and, you know, just the crazy collection of our state. But, you know, just give us an overview of what MuniRes is for those that may not know. So really, when I came up with the idea, my goal was to make licensing and tax as easy as possible for both the business and the jurisdiction. And, and that's the premise of it. It's an online system that a business can log in. And in their business center, it's very clear. There's a punch list almost there of everything they need to take care of for that jurisdiction. It could be a tax form. It could be a license form. You know, We're going to send them email reminders to make sure they understand that even without logging in so they can really stay on top of it and be a compliant business in their community. You know, with that, on the other side of it, we needed a way to deliver the, the, the money to the, the taxing jurisdiction automatically without them having to go through and process paper checks. And we needed them to have robust reporting, to be able to issue electronic licenses. And that's really what the system does is it's that full gamut. It could be a permit, a license, um, tax money, license fees, anything can come through the system. And both sides of the party there, the business and the jurisdiction can do it all electronically, see it all electronically and handle it within the system. And remember, this is 2011, 10 years ago. You know, online payments weren't as robust as they are today. You know, we had to find the right gateway to use and really figure out how to automatically deposit those funds to the jurisdictions. And then in terms of is it today what I envisioned, you know, it's it's obviously we've added so many new enhancements and, and releases since that first product version, uh, whether it's, you know, notifications models and dunning processes, estimated assessments, that kind of thing. I would say that what we have added more so in that time since then is additional products. I mentioned my very first manual vacation rental audit for a community. Well, we have taken that now and it is a fully automated system that we we built a few years ago that cities all over the country utilize. They contract with us. We help them determine who is renting their vacation rental unit. And then through our system, then, you know, let them know, hey, you need to get this tax form taken care of or this license taken care of. So it's basically an additional module that we built um, over the years and it works hand in hand with mini reps. And then the other thing is that as we grew, we now have, you know, I think we're pushing 70,000 businesses that file their taxes, take care of their licenses and mini reps. So as we grew, we had businesses say, you know, can you make it easier? Can we get to, for instance, the Englewood, Colorado site and the Commerce City site all in one login? And really that's where our, our portals that we're delivering to states 
came from is the businesses that loved using Minirev said, hey, can you take it one more step, make tax even easier again for us? And that's where we built the single filing portal where they can actually upload taxes in a single form and pay multiple jurisdictions in a single payment. And so we use that that product is being used here in Colorado and then also in Alaska right now. And and so that's where it's grown. It's just more modules and more needs because we listened to what our businesses and our clients needed us to build next. We are here in Colorado in the process as a result of Wayfair, right? We need to have the ability to have a central point of registration, remittance in order to be kind of Wayfair compliant related to our home rural cities. So can you, you know, not violating any sort of, you know, agreement or whatnot, walk us through kind of what it's been like to work with the state in order to facilitate that ability to kind of fund our cities and make it easier for our cities and, you know, taxpayers, you know, with the MuniRevs portal? Yeah, I mean, I would say that I, what I think is interesting about this is that the the product and the solution that we've provided is more exciting today because of the Wayfair ruling. But when this process started in Colorado, Wayfair wasn't even a glimmer yet. You know, it's been, what, five years, Judy, with the task force yeah. and spending time on that well before Wayfair. And really, the issue started from businesses here in Colorado that were struggling with having to remit taxes to multiple jurisdictions. So right. that furniture company example, right? They deliver a couch to all 70 home rule cities throughout the state. They have to file 70 tax returns individually uh-huh. now that month. So that's where the process started. So I guess I would just say that, you know, it, it, it has been a long road to get to where we are today. And I think we, we had to go through that process to make sure that we, all the compromising and or understanding that happened at that task force level, whether it was from the business community side, the state side, or the home rule city side, to get to the point where we knew what solution should come first and needs to be done first. And then Wayfair was really the icing on the cake, really. We knew we needed to solve this already. The legislators already asked the Department of Revenue and such to solve it. And then having additional revenue come through the system because of Wayfair is is almost a bonus and it was almost secondary. Wouldn't you say, Judy? Oh, I agree. But I what I found and part of why I've been on this task force for all these years is so many people are just not complying. So the poor little cities are not getting their money because it's too difficult and costly. And like I was saying, I have a rental property in Breckenridge, which is in a in a subdivision called Blue River, which is a town and it uh, imposed a license and it's $200 to get the license just to give them their lodging tax. That's a lot of money to have a license to give tax as a homeowner and who rents their house out occasionally. So, but of course I complied and I did it, but it was like one more thing. I had to give the the town the money. I have to give the county the money. I have to give the state the money. Those are on one form, but the other, so just, you know, tracking all that, those licenses, it's a lot of work for, and I do this for a living. And I was like, oh my gosh, one more thing I got to do every month, right? Track it all, pay attention to it. So it, it was onerous for me as well. And I'm just a little person who actually can do it. You know what I mean? So yeah. And then you, like you said, you've got you've got businesses that run on behalf of many homeowners with the VRBO and all that. So, you know, we have lots of what we call, I would call them a marketplace. They're making a market on behalf of all these homes in order to provide this opportunity to stay. Airbnb certainly changed the character of how you and I stay remotely. I mean, when we first became VRBO owners, which was 16 years ago, we, um, that was very new technology and the staying in a home was a very new thing. Airbnb made it like 
normal, right? Because you rented out your room even. So it's really changing character about how you and I engage in new communities versus staying in a hotel. But I think the onus is that you saw a lot of businesses that they weren't located in the city. They didn't comply, even if they delivered, even if they put an HVAC system in, even if they did electricity, construction, they're in there for a bit of time, not forever. So they don't comply. So they don't even know they should. So there's just a lot of challenges, I think, with lack of knowledge and certainly out-of-state taxpayers don't have a clue that we have home rural cities. So you're selling to Coloradans and you license in Colorado. You don't even think twice about the cities. That's certainly an issue for like software. Like software is taxable at the city level. It's not taxable at the state level. So they follow the state law. They don't give the city their tax. I mean, it's a problem. And so what I thought was the cities are getting their due and enforcement shouldn't be a negative way to get tax out of vendors. So we needed a better system, but there was so much lack of trust of Colorado, as you're well aware. Everybody was worried we wouldn't cite us it correctly. We wouldn't know where they were. We wouldn't apply the right rate. They wouldn't get their money fast enough. And as you were, you certainly, it was interesting to me, Aaron, all the time you would do presentations, how simple it was to them. You know, I think everybody's like, there's no way it's this easy. <laughs> but I think you <laughs> you finagled all the ACH and all the, the, the money, right? And then the portal. And then that allows them that, you know, to validate and get their money instantaneously within a very short period of time. So there, it just gave assurance. But I think that was also just the technology advances that have occurred over the last 10 years. I mean, I have a Venmo account because of Meredith, because I paid my dog walker with it. Didn't even know what Venmo was. Now you and I give money to each other for babysitting or splitting the bill through a, a whole new technology, which is mainstream for Americans. PayPal, I feel like, was kind of the beginning of that. So I think that's really helped the, to make it easier for your uh, solution to be adopted. But it certainly wasn't like they were just going to use you. That was another yeah. issue. You were incredibly <laughs> patient. I mean, incredibly patient. That Because it took the state and the cities. I think it was good that we have a third party, meaning you, because there's a different layer of accountability that doesn't exist at the government level. There's that layering of governments um, engaging with you, cities are engaging with you, taxpayers engaging with you through a portal with the state. And there's just a little bit of a push-pull of like private and public, which I think is a hand-in-hand -hand thing. And it creates a layer of accountability that gives assurance and builds trust. That's my sense of it. But I can't believe it took four or five years. I, I mean, people told me at the beginning it was going to take that long. I guess I didn't believe it, but it did. <laughs> <laughs> it sure did. <laughs> we have some of the home rule jurisdictions already, you know, use the Muni Revs platform yes. to collect, you know, their municipalities, sales tax and licensing and all that. Do you think that helped get some of the other jurisdictions over the over the hump or to kind of establish that level of trust to get those jurisdictions to sign on to the overall Colorado SUT system because whatever jurisdiction can raise their hand and be like, hey, we've used them. It works. You know, our taxpayers love it. We love it. As a practitioner, I've reached out to Muniraz with a question and like have had an answer like right away and have just been really happy with just like a single jurisdiction system. So do you think that helped you get there on that set system and get those municipalities, like the all of the other jurisdictions signed up? 
I do. Um, you know, our clients were very vocal about that because they wanted to make sure, as Judy said, that the right solution was brought in, that they still maintain their home rule authority, that they still maintain the timeliness of their tax delivery. And they had worked with us for a decade. And so they were very vocal about recommending us. And as you said, you know, transferring that trust, so to speak, you know, it really helps. We serve, I think, 40% of the home rules. They are where their system of record. And then uh, I think it's 45 jurisdictions in Colorado overall that utilize muni reps or lodging reps. And so that does help. You know, they, the, it's a community. All, the finance directors all talk and the community planners talk. And once they, they know that we're the preferred resource or our clients trust us as much as they do, it really, it really helped overcome any concerns there. If they're not on muni revs, because that's kind of where I think, is it generally like a homegrown system that like the city and county of Denver has built their own portal or login? Or is there, you know, kind of, because I don't hear of other kind of software providers out there that, you know, are similar to muni revs. Is it just more that like they just grow their own system? Because they have, you know, prior to 2010, they maybe had some web services and they just kind of like, continue to build onto that? Yeah, you know, there are a few products out there. A lot of them, the smaller communities use really their ERP system and and kind of a glorified accounts receivable module with that. And then they can get the online payment aspect of it through almost like they, that they go through the, their own gateway versus it being a full system like Muni Revs, right? So they just really want to be able to get to that point of accepting an online payment. So they, they go just to kind of the gateway side versus the software side and having it as a full package. And then there are a couple of systems that are true sales tech systems, like the, like the larger cities use the same thing that the state uses, but it's, you know, for the other 65 municipalities in the state, that's just not within a budget scope for them, right? And so we really wanted to fit that niche for them. But what about Denver? Let's talk about that because it took them a little bit longer to get on board. They just recently inked their deal. They were part of the process all along about choosing you because this was a public-private um, engagement. I represented like the CPA community. There was a lawyer rep, and then there was a bunch of us that got on the tactical team to choose whether to buy or build. And Denver agreed that you guys were the right option, I'm assuming. We all went that way and that's how we picked you. But it took them a while to kind of ink the deal with that. Do you know what the logistics were with that? Is it was it a parallel system thing? Was it how they point to you? Because they're such they're our biggest city. I'm just curious how how you got through that. Right, absolutely. So um, all of the cities were really engaged. So we we contracted with CDOR in January, and then right. we met with every single home rule city, you know, in February and March, and addressed questions, and you know, just really got them up to speed, so that you know, by May six for the launch, we had we had I think six cities on board at that point, and so Denver was very much a part of that process. Mm-hmm. Um, they were really helpful in um, the agreement that the cities need to do with the Department of Revenue. All the large cities. We, you know, Lou Cordova did a great job making sure they were part of editing that document until everybody mm-hmm. was comfortable with it. That probably took a month, maybe six weeks. Sure. Um, but Denver was really crucial in that. And then, as I understand it, you know, Denver just signed maybe three weeks ago, and yeah. they they had a couple of readings, and they may have had an ordinance amendment. I can't remember in order to oh. adopt, but they at that point it was okay. Now let's get it through the council approval process. Not <sighs> that there were any other. 
So it's um, really, and then we had COVID. So hello. Yeah. But so yeah. I, so it's okay. So what you're saying is because they have to have an agreement to say we are willing to take our refilings through this as opposed to through our own website portal or mail. Um, and so we're going to point here or there. And so that's that's you know they got to do some legal stuff for that. It's not just like hey, just yep. go ahead and get it from wherever you want. And then I'm assuming the back end is really just a matter of a ACH or whatever, whatever it is, upload to their bank account. I mean, how do you get them the money? Or they, I guess yeah. the state's getting the money? I mean, Yeah, so that. there's a trust account. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's a trust account attached to the bank account to the, the CDOR system. And then what happens is our system, you know, when a taxpayer goes through and files, it takes three days for the money to actually hit that account. Uh-huh. And so we're able to then see that the money actually cleared, you know, okay. didn't get returned for any reason. And then at that point, we initiate the out ACH and all okay. the home rule cities as they onboard, we encrypt where we're sending that to as part uh-huh. of their onboarding process. And our system just knows to go out and send that batch out to them. And then for the returns, we, we've actually batched them. Um, all of the cities have adopted a, a universal sales tax form format in SUTS as part of their agreement. Okay. And so we batch them into a PDF package, and then they can also download it in an Excel file because they still need to go and book it in their system yeah. of record. Our MuniRev clients have a direct API, so it posts over automatically. But for someone that does have those other systems you were talking about, they need to log in and, and grab the returns. We are offering an option that Aurora is taking advantage of, and then Denver is as well, where if a city wants us to do custom output to them so that they can automate it a little bit better, our, our engineering team just works with them to create that custom output so that they don't have to actually manually key in the returns from SUS in their external system. Erin, let's let's go up to Alaska because you had mentioned (laughs) that you are working with Alaska and Alaska typically is one of our nomad states, you know, of the, however, you know, the few that don't have a sales tax, Alaska is one of them. However, there is some, you know, rules with the, the locals and, you know, what, what is MuniRevs doing there? And then what's just going on in Alaska? <laughs> Great question. So yeah, Alaska <laughs> is very unique that there's no state sales tax, but there's 106 municipalities that have a local sales tax. 106. That they can I thought it was 156. Okay. That's good to clarify. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so what we have addressed first with them is um, the remote seller piece of it. You know, it's, it is the Wayfair situation that caused them to move forward quickly. And so what happened was they formed a remote seller sales tax commission. And much like the system here in Colorado, if a municipality goes through their ordinance process and agrees to the terms of the commission, they then agree to let the commission collect uh, remote seller tax for deliveries into, into Alaska. So, you know, an Amazon or a, a Walmart that ships something would log into this single portal and be able to file for all the participating cities with the taxes that they collected. Again, that single remittance portal being really key to the Wayfair ruling. And so that's what we have solved for them today. I think we have delivered almost $5 million in new revenue to those cities in the past five months. I think it is about maybe five six. months. Okay. Seriously. Yeah. There's not that many humans that live there. They buy a lot of stuff, huh? <laughs> what are they? Heating yeah. blankets? What are they buying? <laughs> All right. Let's not get offensive. We don't want to isolate our friends. It, well, <laughs> well, it's not that cold here right it's now. It's cold here. No, it's cold here. That's true. <laughs> So does that mean all 105 
are in this system. Um, and so you're co- not collecting, taking in the money for all 105? Yeah, so just for the remote sellers, and I think volume-wise, in terms of the largest sales tax jurisdictions, we have the, the 90% of the volume and population covered with who's participating, but there's a lot. There, you know, there's like 50 cities in Alaska that are very small. They, you know, they have, they hardly have a sales tax division, right? They don't, they don't maybe have an attorney, much like here in Colorado. They have to go through an ordinance review process with their council and make sure that they can agree to the agreement. They may have to change some of their, their charter, that kind of thing, right? And so those 50 smaller cities have not come on board yet. I, I don't know how many cities we have on board, but like I said, it's, it represents 90% of the, the population and the shipping in, in Alaska in terms of the volume. So it's interesting that you're getting remote sellers though, because how do they even know to do this? I wonder how they're figuring that out. The commission is doing a lot of outreach. You know, they're reaching out to folks. They've done a lot of press, um, a lot of news announcements, and just really making sure that they're aware, you know, working with folks like, you know, the Avaleras and those kinds of folks to make sure that Alaska's on the map in terms of this rule being in, in the books and the commission kind of serving that state level, the way that they mapped it all out. It's really, really clever, um, and it does fulfill what, it's not the state doing it. It's the municipal league, but it fulfills right. what, what businesses were looking at through Wayfair. Yeah. Wow. So they're just turning on the nexus and collecting tax and all the, all the destination cities. That's, that is amazing. I mean, really, yeah. I bet you they're just can't even believe they're having such a windfall. I'm sure nobody really even realizes just how much commerce is transacting, especially now with COVID. I mean, gosh, the, the highlight of a day is an Amazon delivery, I assume, or UPS. <laughs> Are Alaska's rules... Because generally you think, you know, with Wayfair, it's we're going to use the $100,000. It's $100,000 to the jurisdiction and it's the collecting, you know, so then they have to collect on all of those that they collect. For Colorado, you know, in the beginning, there was some questions. Well, it's like, do I have to have $100,000 into Denver or Boulder or Thornton or whatever? But it's, if you hit that $100,000 within Colorado, then you have to collect once all the jurisdictions are, you know, on sets and signed up, you have to collect for all of them. Is that similar in Alaska? So if you hit $100,000 into Alaska, then do you collect, then do you have to charge, you know, do you have Nexus now from remote sellers in all of the jurisdictions or is it just you have $100,000 into Juno, so now you just have Nexus into Juno? I believe, um, and I'd have to go back and look at the commission documents to double check, but that is really the intent of the commission, is that the commission defined the threshold into the entire state, again, to kind of step into a DOR shoes, right? So that that business, it it is all of the jurisdictions, but only those that have signed up for the commission. And it's similar for SUTs, too, that... You know, the way that the businesses are looking at that is there are two things that a, a community here in Colorado needs to do for a remote seller to start remitting to them, and that is to join SUTs. And the second is to um, do marketplace facilitator legislation, and CML has produced a model ordinance on that. So we hear it time and again from these large filers that they actually watch the CML website and our SUTs website, and as soon as the city does both, then they're going to start collecting. And so the commission in Alaska really addressed it the same way, is that you need to be part of the commission and agree to all the rules of the commission so it's not complicated for the seller. And then, of course, through that, you're going to then file through our portal to handle the single remittance. But the rule is, um, in Alaska, like it will be in Colorado, is if you beat 100,000 in sales in the state, and once those home rolls on sets, 
all those home rules are the filers. As it, now we have destination reporting at the state level for all the statutory cities and counties. We're just adding 71 more on for Colorado. Same thing in uh, Alaska. It's not just Anchorage versus Seward. It's the entire state. 100,000 of sales, you file in all the jurisdictionals, jurisdictions that are a part of the the thing you said, whatever that word was. The league. The league. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Justice League, the Tax <laughs> League, the Alaska Tax League. Avengers, <laughs> Avenger Tax. Anyway. <laughs> uh, well, and it, what's fascinating is just how flexible it sounds like you all have to be, you know, to one, move quickly, right? Like this Alaska thing is pretty new. And the fact that it's like there is incredible. So then how, you know, we've come a long way just in technology in general since, you know, 2010, when you had this brainchild. What what are your, how many developers do you have? How do you, and are, you know, I'm sure they come in not knowing anything about sales tax. Do they leave kind of having some basis of sales tax knowledge? And just how do you, we see certain things, but what's that, what's the back end look like? Like, what's that technology piece look like? And your developers and just how do you make it all happen? You know, really, the one of the biggest things that helps us make it happen is the way that we designed the system from day one was to be nimble. So as much as we can bring into the user interface to make it a tool, and not need a developer, we've built as much of that as we possibly can. And so, for instance, when we launch a MuniRev site, like we do, I don't know, 10 launches a month or somewhere in that ballpark, when we do that, our conversion specialist, not a developer, actually set up a lot of that site, whether it's a different license workflow or um, an approval with different departments approving it, the, you know, the tax data and the automation that goes with that. We've put all that into the tools so we um, are able to hire, you know, accountant types and, you know, computer skilled and engineering type people, but not necessarily a programmer, right? Um, a lot of our, our conversion folks have business or accounting backgrounds to help with that process versus it being an actual developer. So okay. that's one thing about how we make it really nimble. And then this, and then basically that same architecture is used for every one of our products. So our lodging rep system where we identify the vacation rental products, same thing. There's tools to build that whole thing out. One city may have a different compliance requirement than another. And Telluride, you have to post your business license number on the business. So our system knows that that's a requirement in Telluride, but maybe it's not a requirement in Hawaii. And so that way it can be used across the board again without going to an engineering mode every time we you know, launch a new community. With the state products, it's the same foundation. It's our, our MuniRev's core product. And, you know, we were, we basically designed it in mind. We launched our, our pilot project back in 2018 to really demonstrate to these states that, you know, the, the technology is here um, and we had businesses subscribe to use that product. And when we designed that, again, we made sure that it could handle, you know, different rates all in one system. And then, of course, the batching process and all of that so that it could, it could drop into Alaska, it could drop into Colorado or drop into other states as well. We're actually looking at creating a lodging tax tool from that so that, you know, the businesses that are really struggling with filing lodging tax in many different cities have a single portal. It, it really, I, I guess I'm going back to architecture, right? It's, it's making sure that we designed it with the nimble needs of 2,000 different cities and what they, what their different requirements are can be handled readily in the system. And then in terms of our team, we do have, um, we actually have four QA people that just test and design. And then we have, it, it rotates between six and 10 per 
programmers that are on the team all the time, you know, innovating, you know, launching new products, you know, kind of staying ahead of the next thing that we want to deliver as well. Then how do you keep up with like the legislative changes? Do you have people who do that as well? So you're kind of tracking that? Yeah, we have um, a national um, community partnership person that's tracking those those rules. And what's really interesting is that we work so closely with such key businesses, whether it's you know a really big online travel marketplace or really big remote sellers, that they see us as a resource for them too. So they also reach out when something's coming and they would like us to be the solution or when something is coming and they want us to see if we can do something different in an existing product to help them because it's coming, right? Yep. So that, that's a really that's a really big dialogue for us as the end user's needs as well. And legislation falls right in there too because we're going to design products for that. Well, why, and you had internal experience, so you know what it was like, the, the trouble to get it in. You've done built with the government, so you know what it's, you know, trying to get it out. And now you can build something that kind of meets needs. So you kind of have like all customer experience in your, you know, toolkit, which I think is really instrumental to build something that is effective and to win people over. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, I think sometimes technology people don't have a clue. I find that there are software products out there that don't really understand sales tax, right? But they built software, but now they become experts on a lot of things about it. And they're kind of learning as they go, but you have something kind of a little bit unique in your background. And then you have the impetus to do it, which is not very common for a CPA. That's true. <laughs> well, so then how long did it take you to get that initial launch? So you had the idea, you found the developers, like how long did it take you to get to, you know, a marketable product and who was your first jurisdiction to sign on? So uh, let's see here. I incorporated MiniRabs in July of 11 and we started programming immediately and our first site was live that December. So five months to build the first um, product. Wow. Okay. And we had our first customer in August. It was actually the town of Mountain Village that I had used to work for. And then Telluride came on right after that. So we started locally with the community that I'd already been doing audit services for. Mm-hmm. I mean, how, that's, a, that's a hurdle to get them to buy. And I mean, I realize you had a trusted relationship historically, but I mean, I sat in many a meeting where it was like, there was so much fear. You know what I mean? It really wasn't even an understanding. It was just fear. There was institutional bias against the state, you know, for years of whatever, based on historical meets and bounds and paper and whatever things did, there was just a tremendous amount of fear, which I would argue is unfounded in today's world, but it was based on preconceived notions that were legitimate many, many years ago. And so is that how you were able to get them to buy in? This is government we're talking about here. Yeah. You know, the, the I won't lie there. I mean, the first sales pitches, you know, they're difficult. First of all, again, it's a decade ago and I'm breaking ground, not just on the way to collect tax, right. but also payment delivery that never existed, right? Yes. That they're going to trust this new company to process their money and deliver it to them. And so there were definitely, and, and, and to say that we would get them to 95% paperless, we would eliminate all but 5% of all this paper they were processing. That was, that was what my goal was. And we did it. Our clients average paperless percentage is 95%. And so they, they were hard conversations at first, but what's really interesting is here we are a decade later and, you know, we've processed well over a billion dollars. We have, you know, 50 to 75,000 businesses. Um, I lose track of that number, but using and trusting and filing in the system. Yeah. Um, and so that conversation is very different today. You know, yeah. we, we had to, you know, gain that trust for those initial few and then deliver and prove it out and show that we can do this over and over again. Um, 
And the conversation this year with COVID has been really interesting. You know, you no longer have to explain, you know, the payment processing and everything. It's more commonplace today. But we have you know, cities that are calling us because we're part of their COVID resiliency plan. They, they never went online and they had, they had checks sitting in a bank deposit that nobody could go and take care of when they had to shut their offices down. So they had an actual stop of, you know, taxes getting deposited. And then as they go back and as we're dealing with budget cuts and, or just trying to make sure that you're never in that situation again, these cities are realizing, why aren't we doing licenses online? Why aren't we taking taxes online or any payment from a business online? Um, and so that's really interesting that it's come full circle and they're saying our, our pitch, so to speak, for us, right? Because they've seen those that haven't gone online yet have saw it in COVID how much they needed it. And that's really interesting that you say that there's just checks sitting in an empty mailbox in an empty office because we were working with a state and doing like a voluntary disclosure agreement that was mailed in July. And the taxpayer's like, we have a $100,000 like check that we wrote in July that's sitting there. When are you going to cash this? Because we want it off our books. Yeah. Like yeah. They're like, well, it has to be a check. And it like we go in every once in a while to like open the mail and then it goes sits in a processing thing and we don't know when the processing people are going to show up there. So that's really interesting just how in general, and this has, you know, been a common theme of the conversations that we had, you know, for the podcast of just like how COVID has just like shifted so many just traditional ways of thinking, especially, you know, in an environment which we, which we deal with governments who are typically really slow to change. Yes. Well, yeah, I was going to say with Suts, I mean, we've got everybody on board. I mean, everybody's playing game. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, you know, because we were stressing as part of the coalition, like, why don't we have more traction? Why aren't there more businesses on? I'm like, because it takes time. And some of the smaller cities were first to market. Denver just signed on three weeks ago. This thing's been around since January, but it's it takes time. But now, like, the momentum, like, already I get the updates from the state. I'm like, everybody's in. There's nobody not playing ball right now. Like it's going to happen, which I have to warn my clients. Like now you're all going to have a Wayfair. You know, you're going to have to get 71 home rural city licenses. Are you ready? And do you have Nexus prior? So that's a big issue for me in terms of like, what the heck do you do if you license late and all that good stuff if you were, but if you're remote, no worries. If you never ever set foot in Colorado or any of those cities, then fine, we'll just turn them on. But if there's, if there's people that have not complied in the greater metro areas, there's some risk to them on late registrations. But I just think that's a trip. Well, Wayfair was a trip. I mean, what, 45 plus DC, we have 44 states that are have a Wayfair law. And I think the same amount have a marketplace law. Who would have thought two years in, we would have this. And this is pre-COVID, right? This was already happening right? pre-COVID. And now it's like, okay, we're all in, we're all in. Yeah, it's it's amazing to see that transformation. But you know, I just, every time I talk to you, Erin, I always feel like everything's like, yep, we can do it. No problem. I mean, I don't see any stress. I don't see any fear. I just see like, yep, we're ready. And that, I think is kind of incredible. It obviously bodes confidence, but it is because you are confident. And that I think is fascinating. If I look back on you to to 2010, that's some gumption. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and Erin, you were were recognized in 2014 as one of Colorado's top 25 most influential young professionals by Colorado Business Magazine. So what, advice do you have about just like going all in and seeing a need and going for it? Like what, what can you leave our listeners with 
because you are confident and you know what you're doing and you're nimble and you're great at what you're doing and you've, you're doing it. You've do, you're doing it. <laughs> I think it really goes back to that adage where you begin with the end in mind. Um, so you need to know what you're building if you're going to go solve something. You know, I, I worked, as you said, Judy, I worked in a hotel. I dealt with their compliance and then I worked for the town on the other side. You know, knowing the needs and the pain points was important from day one to make sure that I knew that. And then building the system, making sure, you know, I built it, maybe it's the CPA and me, the frugal CPA saying, I need to know how to do this system. I am not a programmer, but I'm going to learn it and I'm going to know it. And I want everything in the user interface as much as possible so that I don't have to pay programmers forever. Right. And so you have to begin with that end in mind. And I, I, I needed to make sure that the, the product could be nimble, knowing how different every city could be. And so just think it's really important to know your industry, know what problem you're trying to solve and make sure you really ask those questions and know it thoroughly so that you can build the right solution and go all in. But nobody um, and, would do that with 71 cities, Aaron. Yeah. Let's not, yeah. I just did the math. Let's not forget that, you know, just talking pre-recording, you have an 11 and your 13 year old, you had little ones at home and oh, did yeah. this also while pregnant, probably. So mm-hmm. bravo. Like, <laughs> right? Yeah. We're gonna yeah. we're we're not gonna put that behind because it's hard enough when you've got littles to wake up and like dress yourself. So, <laughs> and you've created this thing that's been transformative to, you know, our tax collection. So, that's that, I want to make sure you get that credit because it's not like that's all you did, yeah. right? <laughs> you did have a no. personal life. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm really lucky. My husband hasn't worked the last. I mean, I think it's going on actually most of the Muni Rev's life cycle here and that I couldn't do it without him. I mean, he delivers me lunch to my office every day and takes care of everything, kid and kiddo related school, everything, you know, after he delivers lunch, he asks me what we'd like for dinner. I mean, he's just tireless and amazing. And I, you know, if I, if I had to do all of that, we wouldn't have groceries because I'm still working. Right. So I'm not quite sure how all that magic happens, but Jeremy gets it all done. (laughs) So you're like RBG where her husband, I mean, they were like, you know, a very egalitarian family where they, it wasn't the man who was a primary breadwinner. It was a shared responsibility. I know he cooked because she did not cook Ruth Bader Ginsburg and they didn't want her to cook, uh, which is kind of my life too. Nobody wants me to cook. I burned tomato soup in a can. It's not bueno. Anyway, um, but yeah, it's, it is that interesting egalitarian thinking about family rearing and you're kind of a transformative human in that regard and a business owner, CEO. Like, there you go. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, we talked about the women thing at the very beginning about the females on your podcast. And I was at yet another meeting yesterday where I was the only female there. It was a bunch of engineers, right? And, you know, yeah. in my team and on other teams um, at a city. And the only female in that room. And we actually just renewed our certificate as a female owned and controlled business. Um, you know, I'm the majority stockholder. We do have investors, but I'm the majority majority voting stockholder. And um, I sent it out to my team this week and reminded them that, you know, that it's something that we should be really proud of and that I'm very personally proud of. It, it, it's a different, and as you say, then to ha- raise a family too and have a husband that's doing everything, literally everything else. <laughs> yeah, it's a team. Yeah. And then as we wrap up, is there anything you feel we need to know that we didn't already talk about? Well, I think one of the um, the things that really sets Muni Revs apart in terms of 
how we understand sales tax and how we deliver is that we actually support the business users in our systems. So um, I mentioned all the businesses that use it throughout the country. Uh, we have a whole team that answers their questions. Um, and as you said, Meredith, that you get immediate responses. And that really helps us. The fact that we listen not to our clients only, but we take that user feedback and we're talking to the people using our system every day and helping them. And it's just something that has really set us apart in terms of knowing what is needed next in the industry and then also just knowing sales tax inside and out. That's, yeah, that's, you know, an incredible story. And again, like the, it's transformative. And so we're going to wrap with just a few little fun questions just to get to know you outside of, you know, Muni Rev. So are you ready for our rapid, not so rapid, because we can't shut our mouths questions? (laughs) Sure. (laughs) What are you reading right now? I love reading holiday books since it's the Christmas season right now. So I'm reading The Christmas Train uh, by David Baldacci. You may not be doing as much driving as you maybe once were, but what do you listen to in the car? If I'm by myself, I love silence. I have nothing on because that's when I do my best thinking. And then I'm assuming when you're with your children, it's some iteration of something else. <laughs> what there is, is no quiet. Yeah. Oh, my daughter really is always <laughs> like Pandora. And are we going to listen to Hamilton or are we going to listen to some kind of other stuff? I mean, Melanie Martin. I, I know all kinds of current stuff because of her. <laughs> <laughs> What is your favorite movie? Again, this time of year, uh, my favorite is White Christmas. I always watch it with my kids, and oh, usually the I big Crosby one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a great story, isn't it? Love. We that got one. our five year old. Yeah. We got our five year old into that last year, and my husband and I really liked that movie as well. And she, we call it the singing, dancing Christmas movie. <laughs> oh, fun! <laughs> Coffee or tea? And Coffee how do you take with it? Cream. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Coffee no, with cream. <laughs> Very nice. Three words or phrases that a family member would use to describe you. So when I asked my sons this, they said, smart, funny, and creative. Oh, nice. That question like always gets me and I get a little like misty eyed. Like, <laughs> all right. Pull yourself it's fun together. to see the way your children see you. What an example. And you have two boys, right? So I do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a whole different thing too. Like they're seeing a mom example and a dad example, which is going to transform their, as they become adults, you know, and fathers and partners, you know what I mean? Like that'll be, that's, I think it's kind of encompass on us to like help everybody grow to be together and take care of one another and all that. So that's the mom and the dad. So neat. So true. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So last question. One thing you've learned during stay at home. Uh, How lucky I am to live where I am and how grateful I am for my family. We've been hunkered down together for all these months and just very, very, very lucky. See, cue tears. Well, Erin, we really appreciate your time and thank you so much for being with us today and educating us. This has been Saltivation. I'm Meredith Smith. Until next time. Thank you. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not intended, nor should it be relied upon as legal, tax, accounting, or investment advice. You should consult with a competent professional to discuss specifics of your situation and the applicability of the information presented.